Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all you guys here. I think we should start our time by putting our hands together for the glory of God, for the glory of God, to Cody and Pastor Phil and Pastor Dave and Tim Moore, wherever you're at right here. Um, I, they, they just do a ton of work, right, to make all this thing happen and for Cody to bring us beautifully before the throne of God. I think we should let them know our appreciation. Thank you guys so much. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And as you turn there, we're going to be reading verses 3 through 18. I want to introduce myself. My name is Josh Daggett, and I'm a pastor in southeast Des Moines, Easter Lake area. Um, I, I'm, I pastor a church called Living Waters Fellowship, and we're part of a church planting network called the Engage Network in central Iowa. And we're very, very thankful to be here to open up God's Word with you guys all week. Um, just to let you know a little bit about myself, uh, the church actually started 10 years ago in my basement. So we started church in my basement as uh, a group of 20-some people, and for the glory of God... Uh, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ, which has been an amazing thing. And uh, we are now buying a Fairway grocery store, amen? And we're turning it into a church, yes. So uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, we're calling it, to go, we're going from groceries to gospel, amen? So I don't know if there's a Fairway for sale in your town, but you better start asking about it. No, I'm just kidding. Fairway's never done this before in the history of their organization, we're privileged to be their guinea pigs. That's what I'll say. And uh, anyway, just I have a lot of great memories here of this camp. And I grew up coming to this camp, um, heard the gospel many, many times um, at this camp. Never thought I'd be preaching the gospel at this camp. God has done a, a crazy work of grace in my life. And uh, my dad actually made me go on a missions trip to New York City in the summer of 1999. And Little did I know, that would change my life. Uh, we, we went there the third night I was there. I heard the gospel preached from a, a young man from Texas. I don't know his name. I will never know his name. We'll meet up in heaven, and I'll give him a hug and say thank you. Uh, There's a thousand kids at this, at this event, and I heard the gospel. And, and I had heard it many times. My mom's a converted Lutheran. My dad grew up Baptist. And so I heard the gospel all the time growing up, but never personalized it for me. And when this kid shared the gospel, it was like the Holy Spirit of God took his words and the scriptures that he shared, beelined it into my heart. And I wept like a little baby in the back of that room and I asked Jesus to come be my Lord and Savior. My life has never been the same since that day and God is good. And so um, at this camp, I came to camp right, right after that, and uh, two summers later, Right here on this area, square footage right here, um, our youth leader at the time prayed over me and what would be my wife and, and dedicated us to full-time ministry up here, which is really a cool moment for me. So a lot of, lot of really great um, memories of camp. I'm excited to be here and privileged to preach with you uh, the, the riches of God's Word. So we're going to be taking Philippians as a book it's a letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. We're going to be unpacking as much of it as we possibly can this week. And 
Um, I make no guarantees of getting through this week tear-free, okay? I've already almost cried once. All right, this is going to happen frequently. Uh, just, you know, if you see me out hanging with my family or eating or doing activities, just say, Josh, you're going to make it, okay? You're going to make it this week uh, because the gospel still is, it still stirs my soul in really deep and good ways. And I just, I love Jesus Christ so much and I want you to know him. Um, so if you're here and you're not saved, yeah, we're coming after you this week, okay? Like, we're coming hard after you. You need to get converted. You need to trust in Jesus. And if you're here and you know Christ, um, we're excited to build you up this week. Am I really excited to teach uh, with Jariah Shank? Uh, Jariah, excited to hear you, man, tonight and throughout the week. Jariah, just so you know, has more knowledge in his pinky finger than I have in my entire body. Okay, so I'm excited to hear from really smart guys. I love listening to smart guys. I do not consider myself a smart guy, but all the brains that I have and all the soul and mind that I have, I give to you this week and hopefully by the grace of God. Um, the only good thing, I think we can all agree with this, the only good thing that will happen this week is by the Spirit of God. Amen? It's not going to be wrought by anything I say or Jariah or anybody else. Any change that happens in the soul of men and women happens through the Spirit's power at work through the Word of God. Amen? So we're excited to unpack God's Word together. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 18, and then dig into the Word of God this morning. So starting in verse 3, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for you all in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is only right for me to think this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And you are partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray this, that your love will grow more and more in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause anxiety in me in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Amen for the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of scripture, Lord. Even the reading of the word is very good for us, Lord. And I pray that 
not only the reading, but the preaching and the hearing of God's word, Lord, would bring you glory. Lord, we're coming from all different kinds of churches. We're coming from all different kinds of places. And so, Lord, we know that we're, we're on borrowed time this week. God, I just pray for all of our churches back home. Lord, that you would be magnified in our churches. That you'd be glorified. That people would be saved. That, Lord, entire neighborhoods and towns would be turned upside down for Jesus Christ. Lord, while we're here, may you encourage us, strengthen us, and move us into the mission that you've called us, God. And may you use this word this morning to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So circumstances cannot be where we find our joy. Okay? Do you agree? Circumstances cannot be the place where we find our joy. And so I'm actually Xing out my first illustration because I have a new one from last night. So I'm getting ready to preach on this message. I'm reviewing the sermon. We put all of our girls down. We have four girls. And I grew up with three brothers, so you can see God has a sense of humor. All boys to all girls. And so we put our youngest down, Salome. She's 17 months, and she's been a good sleeper <clears throat> until last night. And so we put her down last night at 10. Okay, we hear this blood-curdling scream at um, what I thought was later. Okay, I didn't, I looked at, we get her, she's, she's coughing, she's, she's screaming. And I look at my clock, click on my phone, it's 11. It'd been one hour. And I'm like, oh no. This would be the sign of the rest of our night last night. Uh, if you see my wife, she's ble- with her bloodshot eyes, just give her a hug and say it's going to be okay. Uh, but last night, in between getting punched and kicked in bed, I was thinking of my sermon. I'm like, I'm a- Lord, I'm about ready to preach tomorrow on circumstances can't be where we find our joy. And the circumstance that was being presented throughout the night last night by God through Salome was making me really hope I could find my joy in my circumstances. Like, Lord, this is not a good circumstance. So when Salome kicked me in the face at 3 a.m., I looked at her and I said, that's enough. You've just become a sermon illustration. I don't know what circumstances you guys are coming from. As a pastor and a church planter, I'm sure there's a a multitude of circumstances. But they can't be where we find our joy this morning. Paul was in jail in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church in A.D. 61. So if you've read the book of Acts, which I hope most of you have, if you read Acts 28, it's just like a cliffhanger ending, you know? You read Acts 28, I remember the first time as a Christian I read read Acts 28, and I'm like, come on! What happened? Because Paul's in Rome under house arrest in jail, and the gospel's going forward, and everything's good, and then it's just like, it's done. We're done with that. And and Paul is writing the, the Philippian letter during that time. And so this letter is known to Bible students as the epistle of joy. The word rejoice is used seven times in this letter. The word joy is used five times in this letter. So in this little four-chapter book, over 12 times, you have a, a verb and a noun being used towards the theme of this letter. So in Christ, Paul is going to argue that God gives us, in the gospel, divine joy. Amen? Divine joy. 
That's what you have if you have Jesus. And this joy defeats the giant of our circumstances. So your, your, your circumstances, I mean, here's the theme, facing my giants, right? The, the, the title of this morning's message is Facing the Giant of Circumstances. I mean, circumstances can be huge and dominating, can they not? And circumstances in Philippians 1, 3 through 18 is, number one, discomfort. Paul is writing from prison. He says it in, in verse 12. He says, you know what has happened, brothers, has actually happened to re- advance the gospel so that the whole imperial guard and everywhere else knows that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. And if you read the last five chapters of the book of Acts, you know that Paul is moving towards Rome with a violent determination. And when he gets to Rome, he is thrown in prison, and that is not a four-star Hilton hotel. Can I get a witness? I mean, he is in prison. This is discomfort. Also, it, it, it was disappointing. Paul's circumstances were disappointing. I mean, he couldn't be active. He couldn't be traveling and sharing the gospel and planting churches like he normally could. So no doubt there was disappointment in Paul's heart. And then there were the critics. I mean, seriously, he's in jail. And he's, he's having trouble with critics of his ministry. Uh, not that we would know anything about that in our modern day ministries, right? There's critics everywhere, man. Everywhere you preach the gospel, there are critics of what you're doing. And Paul certainly had that in prison. He had critics that were, were preaching the gospel in hopes of presenting anxiety into his life. Think about that. Somebody's preaching the gospel and they're like, man, I hope this stresses Paul out. I'm going to preach the gospel and I hope it really causes Paul a lot of worry. Okay, that's called the wrong motivation for preaching. But joy this morning that defeats the giant of circumstances in your life and mine comes through two resources. So these are the two points that I want to share with you this morning. There's two resources that God wants you to hang on to in order to defeat the giant of your circumstances. And resource number one is gospel friends. Gospel friends. You can see that in verses 3 through 11. Where Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for you all in my every prayer. So Paul loves the Philippian church. He is passionate about the Philippian church. He loves them and they love him in return. So Paul says in these verses, verses 3 through 11, how deeply he valued the gospel friendship of the Philippian church. Paul's friendship with this church empowered him toward joy that defeated his circumstances. So, let's just walk through it. Paul was thankful. Okay, he was thankful for the church in verse 3. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. The, The Greek word there for thankful is eucharistos. You can almost hear the English word eucharist in it. All right, it means thankful or grateful Paul had this deep connection with the Philippian church, and he's saying, I'm thankful for you. Why would Paul say that to the Philippian church? Why would he say, I'm thankful for you? I'm going out of my way to tell you how grateful I am. I think it was because, partly, about how the church started in Acts 16. Okay, If you read Acts 16, Paul starts this church with Lydia, the seller of purple. Do you remember her? Like Paul, there's, there's not even a synagogue in Philippi because it's too pagan 
So they, they have this meeting with, with Lydia. They lead her to Christ. God opens her ears to hear what Paul is saying. They lead her to the Lord. And then there's this, there's this situation that happens with Paul. If, does anybody else notice how violent situations follow the Apostle Paul? Everywhere he goes, he's getting beat up. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's inciting violence or violence is being incited upon him for the sake of the gospel. And so he gets thrown in prison with he and Silas. And, and the, 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 the long and short of it is that there's a supernatural earthquake that happens and, and they're about ready to go and the, the, the Philippian jailer is about ready to take his life, as you guys remember. But Paul says, hey, chill out, man. We're all here. We're all here. Not going anywhere. And this guy says, how, how can I be saved? And they lead him and his family to Christ. That is a beautiful way to start a church. That's not, I did not receive that particular methodology to start a church when I planted a church 10 years ago. All right, go to a beach, find a lady selling purple, save her, get her, lead her to the Lord. Then find a, get thrown in prison and then lead the police officer to Christ. Do that. No, but Paul had this connection with these individuals and he thanked God Upon every remembrance of this church, this is an amazing testimony of thankfulness. Every time Paul remembered the church, he prayed with joy in his heart. So he was thankful. Paul was also confident. Paul was confident in this church, and you can see that in verse 6. This is probably one of the most famous verses of Philippians chapter 1. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul was confident, and this, this word means to be persuaded or convinced. He was absolutely convinced in the Philippian church that they would finish well. Okay, Now, before you get thinking too, too quickly down that road, Paul was not convinced or confident in the church themselves. He was convinced and confident that God would be faithful to finish the work. Amen? Did you know your sanctification is not built on you? It's built on God's grace in your life. Amen? Your sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, is not mainly you. It is mainly God's faithfulness in you. Amen? So he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So Paul was confident that God would be faithful he was thankful. He was confident. He was intimate with this church. You can see that in verses 8 through 11. For God is my witness how deeply I miss you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he prays this beautiful prayer that their love would keep on growing in knowledge and discernment. The word miss there, it literally means to lust after. Okay, So picture this. We think of lust in the sinful context of our current society that is, that is absolutely uh, on a train wreck, right? But Paul uses the same word and he says, look, I lust for you. I lust for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul had strong and intimate feelings for this church. Why did Paul have such desires for this church? I mean, you don't see him writing this kind of encouraging opening to the Corinthian church. Can I get a witness? The Corinthians, he's like, yeah, you got a lot of gifts. Okay, I've got these things against you. The Philippian church, he's going out of his way to say, man, I lust to be with you guys. I love and long for you. Well, what's the difference? Well, like in verse 8 and, and 9 and 10 and throughout the book, the Philippian church had shared with Paul in evangelism. 
and giving and financial support and people support. There was a lot of give and take with this church and Paul. And Paul sees and feels that. And he's like, this is the gospel partnership that I am grateful for. And I am intimate with you, Philippian church, because you have stepped up with your intellect, emotion, and will and your financial resources to support me and I you. So, in order to beat circumstances, you got to have gospel friends. And I mean deep gospel friends. Paul's sitting in prison and he rises above his circumstances because he knows the Philippian church is, are filled with that, that sense of gospel friendship. And I would say for us as well, we have to have gospel friends if we're going to defeat this giant of circumstances in our lives, we have to have gospel friends. And, and, and I don't know if you would agree with me, but I hope I can get an amen here. You will not make it in this Christian life without gospel friends. You are not going to make it unless you've got friends that stick there with you financially, relationally, spiritually for the long haul. None of us are good Lone Ranger Christians None of us can do this by ourselves. We need gospel friends. And if we don't have them, circumstances will win time after time after time. Discomfort, disappointment, and critics will crush us if we're not latched on to gospel friendships that are latched on to Jesus Christ. And to close this point, I just want to share this story. In the summer of 1999, like I said, I had just gotten saved and I was going to a weight room workout for our football season. I was the defensive captain for the football team, and our head coach said, hey, we got a new, we got a new coach coming into town, and uh, I want you to meet him after the weightlifting workout. So the weightlifting workout happens. I'm walking out of the weight room, and here's this guy named Sean. He shows up. And he's like, hi, I'm Sean, and, and uh, nice to meet you. And sounds like you're going to be my captain this year, so here's some things I want you to start thinking about and doing. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, I'm like two weeks into my Christian walk. I am fired up for Jesus, having no idea where to go and what to do, okay? Two weeks later, he shows up at our church. And I, I go over to him, this new coach, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm coming to church. I'm like, dude, nobody comes to our church. I mean, people like you, like a coach, what are you doing at our church? And he's like, I like coming to your church. I'm probably going to come back again. You got a problem with that? <laughs> I was like, no, I guess not. Over the next three years, I'd have no idea that Sean would take me and my brothers and many, many other people by his side and mentor us in God's word. He taught us how to study the Bible inductively. He, he had us over, I don't know how many, hundreds and hundreds of nights, probably, I don't know, maybe dozens and dozens. It's probably more accurate where we would sit around his fire, we talk theology, we talk life, we talk about how we're doing. But, but those friendships from 1999 to 2004, those were huge years for me and for us. Our youth group went from 6 to 46. People were getting saved. God was doing all these things. And I was just, I was just so enamored with God's word during that season. And it was a foundational time where I realized having gospel friends makes all the difference in the world. And since then, God has been faithful. 
You know, it wasn't just during that season, but God has provided in every season of my life amazing, God-honoring, Christ-centered friends that will stick with me through thick and thin and help me love Jesus. And if you don't have those things, you won't come um, over against circumstances in your life. So resource number one is gospel friends. Resource number two is gospel attitudes. If you want to defeat the giant of circumstances in your life, not only do you have to have gospel friends, but you have to have gospel attitudes. Paul says in, in, in verses 12 through 18, he, he starts proclaiming this amazing reality that, that his imprisonment, verse 13, has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that his imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. And he says that what has happened to him has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. This is crazy. Paul is telling the Philippian church, hey, I'm in prison, as you know, and my imprisonment has actually resulted in the greater advancement of Jesus and his kingdom. Okay, Paul saw that his circumstances were advancing the gospel. And the word there in verse 12, is, it, it means much progress. Paul is saying, look, much progress, much forward movement has happened as a result of me being in prison. Paul would not be held down. His attitude would continue to hope in Christ. Put yourself in that position. Is that what you're saying? In a Philippian jail, I, I, I don't know that that's what I'm saying. If I'm Paul, I don't know that I'm saying, hey, this is great. I'm in prison. This is awesome. God's grace is going forward. I think I would be complaining and looking around at the walls and etching how many days I've been in the cell. How about you? Paul's attitude is unbelievable. This is what makes Paul, in my opinion, the greatest Christian to ever live. His gospel attitude is the main reason why I believe he's the greatest. Because he's in jail, looking at his cell, looking at the guards, and he says, I believe God has put me here to advance his kingdom. This is an attitude we must learn to embrace. Amen? we got to get better attitudes as Christians because so many times when we, when we see God moving in an antagonistic way to what our vision is, we get down, we get sour, we get discouraged. Rather than seeing God working in the midst of it, we're like, all is lost. We feel like we're on the Titanic sinking into the ocean rather than saying, Jesus, how are you going to work this one out? Paul's attitude is amazing. And he declares that it's become well known everywhere that his imprisonment is for Christ. Paul saw the name of Jesus as being proclaimed as good. Okay, so it says in verses 14 through 18, it says, well, start in verse 14, it says, Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment, and they dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. So that word for um, courage or encouragement, it means exceeding courage. So the brothers in Christ are looking at Paul and they're like, man, Paul's attitude is amazing. I feel empowered to go take risks that I would not normally take for Christ. I'm going to take those risks because I see Paul's attitude as something that I want. Isn't that true? When great Christian leaders step up and are bold for Christ, other people feel a little bit more bold. Amen? Isn't that how it is? And, and I see this in Paul's life. I see it in great leaders today 
who take risks for Jesus, the church rallies around, other believers rally around those who are suffering with joy, and they say, we are more emboldened to share Christ as well. Paul certainly had people who were his critics, and he mentions them. He says, certainly people are speaking about Christ, in verse 17, out of rivalry and not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety. Paul had critics, and they were preaching with false motives, and I would say that hasn't really changed much. There's a lot of people preaching Jesus these days in the state of Iowa, and I met some Minnesota people in Minnesota, you know. There are people preaching in Minnesota and other places in the Midwest. They're preaching for horrific motivations. They're speaking from bad places in their heart. And Paul said, I don't really care. He was unmoved. He didn't give his critics the, uh, the power of definition, which I would encourage you, don't give your critics the power of definition in your life. Don't give your critics the power to define your attitude towards Christ. Paul's gospel attitude is so outstanding that he even uses the false teachers as ammunition for his joy in Jesus. Amazing. God, make me more like Paul. We must have gospel attitudes if we're going to defeat circumstances in our lives. Um, Crawford Loritz, who's, who's a very, very good gospel preacher, he said this. He said, the key to success in ministry and in life is not your circumstances. It's your attitude in your circumstances. How's your attitude this morning with your circumstances? The key to life is not the circumstances themselves. It is your attitude in the circumstances. Some of you have stinky attitudes about your circumstances this morning. I can smell them from here. And some of your attitudes, I mean, holy cow, I should probably use myself. Some of my attitudes stink right now about the circumstances that I have in my own life. Some of our attitudes need to change. Some of our attitudes need to see Jesus and say yes to Christ. Chuck Swindoll, uh, who many of you have probably heard or read, he said this. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. Attitude is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break a company or a church or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And as we close, I just want us to consider Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. How awesome is Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 2, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he was threatened, he, he closed his mouth and continued to entrust himself to his Father. Jesus Christ chose the right attitude every single time. Paul... He cho he's choosing the right attitude in prison because of Christ's power within him. 
We choose the right attitude because of Jesus' power inside of us. So every believer, we have hope in Jesus. Amen? Hope to change our attitudes. Hope to change our direction. So as Cody comes up to close us up and we consider God's word for us, I just want to lay down a few practical, applicational questions for you guys to consider this morning. The question is not... How will adverse circumstances come my way? Rather, it's how will I change my attitude and my circumstances? So here's a question for you. Do you see the gospel in your disappointments, in your discomforts, in your critics? Here's another question. Do you have gospel friends? Gospel friends that are helping you think through your circumstances. Do you have a gospel attitude or just a bad one? Gospel friends and gospel attitudes are only, they only come from one, they can only be defeated from one place. And that's the gospel. So the question here this morning for some of you is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has he turned your life around? Has he saved you from your sins? There's no doubt in a crowd this size, there's some of you who have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And so I'm going to be saying this every sermon all week. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the time to consider these things. This is the time to consider your circumstances and say, the only person that can rescue me is the one who died for me and rose again. And believer in Christ, if you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you to give you gospel attitudes. So let's consider these things as we close in prayer. Everybody can stand up. I'll close us up. Father, thank you for your grace. Thanks for this introduction, God, to Philippians chapter 1. God, you are the one who can give us victory over our circumstances. Lord, help us by your grace to look to you, Jesus, and to say, my attitude stinks, Lord. I confess it. I repent of it. Give me gospel hope, gospel attitude. Give me gospel friends if I don't have them. Lord, work in our, our lives, Lord, as believers. Lord, if there's anybody here who does not know Jesus, I pray that now would be the time where they would repent of their sin and help them hand over anything they're holding in their heart and confess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and the one who can transform their circumstances. God, do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name.